Hi, this is Max Tanev, and you're listening to Brains Bite Back. The podcast that explores the intersection between psychology, technology, and societies. In this episode, and the final installment of my mini-series on the new era of psychedelics, I speak to The Sociable's very own Tim Hinchliffe about the transformative power of psilocybin mushrooms. We speak a lot about Tim's own experiences with mushrooms and other psychedelics, the importance of set and setting, psilocybin for therapeutic uses, and even psychedelic use during isolation. Hope you enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Publicize, a digital PR company that grows businesses' online presence. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. Tim Hinchliffe is the editor of The Sociable, a technology news blog that picks apart how technology transforms society and vice versa. Tim is a longtime psychonaut, having spent a fair few years experimenting with various types of psilocybin mushrooms. His journey with psilocybin has landed him as a perfect guest to talk about their transformative value. Tim, welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So to get started, I want to ask you, when did you first start experimenting with psilocybin mushrooms and what was it that drove you to first try them? Oof. Um, yeah, that was 17 years ago. So I was 18 at the time and it was my freshman year at university. And I went to university in the Pacific Northwest uh, in Washington state. So there is an abundance of, of these mushrooms, uh, but previously I hadn't uh, really known much about them. But when I was in the dorms, yeah, just a bunch of people I met and friends that I made, they had them. And so they said that, yeah, you can see things, um, you know, see patterns and stuff and stuff swirls. And uh, yeah, it's a lot, it's really crazy, a lot of fun. So for me, like, I had no idea. There's nothing I could have been prepared that could have prepared me for the experience. So I just thought it was like, oh, it's like uh, smoking weed and then maybe like a little uh, extra visual fun. But no, it, it was way more than that. So your first experience with psilocybin mushrooms, was it, um, was it really powerful in terms of, you know, surpassing all of those expectations that you had that it was just going to be like smoking weed and then getting some cool visuals? Uh, yeah, it was, um, it, it, it completely did a whole, what, like debugging of, of my body and of my mind and of everything. It was an incredibly powerful experience. I, I was not prepared at all. So what I did is that I ate probably close to four grams of um, dried cubenzies mushrooms and I ate them alone. I didn't do them with anyone else and this was my first time. So it, <laughs> I wasn't prepared for like the initial anxiety that that kind of crept up. So when it was coming up, like I, I started getting waves of anxiety and I didn't know what to do with it. And then once the visuals started happening, so once I, I started looking around at the walls were breathing, um, the carpet was spiraling into little snakes and things. I didn't know how to deal with that because I'd never experienced anything like that before. So what I did was I, I closed my eyes, but yeah, of course that didn't help at all. So when I closed my eyes, everything was just amplified. And then when I opened my eyes again, whatever I was seeing in my closed eyes visuals were projected out into the dorm room where I had first taken them uh, and where I still was. So I could, it was something that was turned on and I couldn't turn it off. And that was out of my control. So what I did was I tried to fight it and, and fighting it just, just made it worse. So later on, I started thinking during the same trip, I started thinking um, 
all right, well, what can make me happy? All this crazy stuff is happening around me, but what can I do? What would I normally do that can give me some peace and comfort or something? So I thought, all right, maybe I'll go look at the computer and put on a movie or something. But as soon as I opened up the laptop and the computer screen, just the desktop, um, you know, the, the background image, that was moving and morphing into its own movies. So like, I couldn't even look at a solid object without that thing going, splintering off into a million pieces. So, oh, okay, that's not gonna work. So then I started thinking again, all right, well, maybe I'll go visit my friend in this other dorm. And then I started thinking, well, what are you gonna do after that? Or, I don't know if it was me thinking or the mushroom telling me, it was like, all right, what are you gonna do next? And I said, well, I'm gonna come right back here. Uh, okay, well, then what if I go out for a walk? Well, what's gonna happen after that? You're gonna come right back here to the dorm room, right where you are. And the more I thought about that, I, it, I got locked in this, this, this temporal loop of thinking, no, everything on the outside, that's not going to do anything to bring me happiness. What's gonna, what, what it is, is something inside. It has to come from within. You have to be comfortable in this moment because this is what's going on right now. And that thought process overwhelmed me that to the point where I lay down on the bed, crawled up in the fetal position, and I just said, okay, it, it seems like this is going to happen forever. This is never going to end. This is the way it's going to be. I'm ready to die. And I accepted that. And so that that was uh, pretty much the the experience I had the first time. But it was coming down from that afterwards where I just felt a, a, an elation, a glow. Like I just survived. I just went through the gauntlet. You know, I just went through some kind of battle or some kind of ritual routine process. And I came out the other side uh, way more refreshed. The next day, I had tons of energy. Colors were brighter. I was happy about everything. So that was my first time. And then my second time was just probably about a week or two later and I decided to do it with friends and I had a completely different experience. It was just one of those fun times um, going out and it was a nice bonding experience. Wow, that sounds really intense. I find it really interesting that even though you went into that first experience completely unprepared for what was coming your way, you still learned some really profound lessons. You know, I think people always advise others to enter psychedelic experiences with as much preparation and intention as possible but even without any of that it still taught you some really valuable lessons yeah indeed because i mean my whole process of thinking before that i you know i just come out of high school i was busy in sports all the time i never thought about consciousness i never thought about you know inner working what what will make you happy and things and and to be frank i probably through high school i was cocky and um uh just didn't care what anybody else thought and i just did whatever i wanted and so without all that external stimuli and just focusing everything within that was a huge shocker for me so it, it forced me to learn right away yeah definitely yeah and um as you began to experiment more with psilocybin mushrooms the the following years how did you become more comfortable with some of those i wouldn't say darker sides of of psychedelic trips but perhaps the ones which are more prone to inducing anxious feelings and 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 negative thoughts how did you learn how to deal with those and understand that i guess fundamentally there are no bad trips there are only just ways to to deal with whatever it throws your way yeah uh, well during that time um so probably from around 2003 to 2010 I, I did them quite a lot and i was always anxious before because i remembered the first time that i took them and how powerful that was even though I had many great experiences, there were a couple of them afterwards that still I think about to this day, just, just how 
frightening they were to me. And that was that's actually one of the reasons why I, I held off on doing them. So after 2010, I didn't take any until just last February. So it was 10 years. Yeah. So well, to answer the question, yeah, I, I couldn't really prepare. I just knew that that this stuff could happen. But another thing to keep in mind is, well, I have something called celiac disease where I can't eat gluten, um, you know, anything with with wheat and, and and that sort of thing. So I didn't know that until relatively recently. So during all this time that I was experimenting with mushrooms, um, I was eating gluten things, glutinous things that were really hurting my stomach. And so that I'm sure had an effect on some of my trips because the physical part of it uh, was just amplified. And so that that kind of got me stuck in a bad place for a bit. But I remember one instance that, that really frightened me. And it was nothing really that I that I saw or heard or anything. It was just a complete paralysis that I felt. So I had gone to this was in Bellingham, Washington. I went to Whatcom Falls, these uh, waterfalls, with some friends and ate mushrooms. And for some reason, when I was there, we started walking and they're like, hey, we got to go. And I'm like, okay, I don't know why, but yeah, that's how it goes. So I started walking. Then all of a sudden, I just had to lean up against a wooden railing that was there. I leaned on it and all of a sudden, I just found myself slumped over on it. And I was just hanging there, slumped over, kind of on my knees, on my arm, hanging up over this thing. And I couldn't move. I was just stuck there. No matter what, they're like, then let's go, let's go. And I, I tried every single force. It's like sleep apnea or sleep paralysis or something. I couldn't move. And it just freaked me out. And I was like, I can't. I was saying like two clenched teeth. I can't move, guys. I can't move. And I don't know how long I was there for, but it was a very frightening, frightening experience. And then one of my friends just came up to me. He was smoking a joint. He just put it in my mouth from his, his hand right to my mouth. And I just took one. I didn't even inhale on that one. I just blew. I just blew it a little bit, and I just popped right up. It just took that one little thing. I just popped right up, and I was walking, and I was fine. But for some reason, that that paralysis, that 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 thing, that what happened, that has made me anxious before going into any other trip afterwards. Uh, just just knowing that that could happen. But now with this last trip, I think I have integrated a lot of things. So now about the anxiety. I, I, I had a lot of anxiety going into this trip that was in February when I took it right here at home. But the thing is that everything that I'd learned from all my mushroom experiences prior, I've already incorporated and integrated into my life, into my decision making, my, my thinking, my problem solving, my, my ways of going about things. So when this trip came along in, in February, it was the gentlest, easiest thing. And when, when I started to feel lift off after about 15, 20 minutes, and when I got to the peak where I went out and kind of walked into the hills, into the mountains of Colombia and in the, the wooded area and kind of lost my mind for a little bit. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't, it wasn't out of my element because I knew how to surrender. I knew not to fight it. And those are characteristics or, I don't know, techniques that I use in everyday life, uh, which I had learned years ago from the first few times that I was, uh, that I had taken the mushrooms. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? Just knowing that resisting is anything that comes toward you you know, no matter how unfamiliar is, uh, it's not the reaction to have. And, and the more we surrender to the experience, the, the more we'll get out of it. Um, yeah, so exactly. you said you took quite a long break until February. Was it the February of this year or of 2019? Yeah, this year, just, uh, this year. just, oh, just, just under wow. two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. That's really recent. So what was it that made you want to take them again after such a long break? Well, well I've been studying mushrooms now for five years or so. So I, quit drinking alcohol because I'm, I'm a recovering alcoholic. So I quit drinking alcohol five years ago. And just at that time, a neighbor of mine 
out of the blue just came over and had and handed me a uh, mushroom that that he had picked that was just growing in the yard and it was an amanita muscaria mushroom it was it's the one the, the super mario one the red top with the white specks and he asked me you know what 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 is this mushroom and i said i don't know why don't i know this so then i started studying uh mycology studying, studying mushrooms and that got me interested. And since I'm living in Colombia now, um, there's lots of biodiversity here and a lot of mushrooms. So I began going out looking for them uh, just as a hobby, you know, something to keep my mind off of uh, drinking and, and um, you know, doing something productive and healthy um, and a new hobby. So, um, yeah, so I started searching for uh, magic mushrooms for years. Oh, and actually four years ago, I did find a lot. Four years ago, I found about 1,000 Panelius cinctulus. It's a psilocybin-containing mushroom. It's the most common in the world. It appears in all 50 states, and it's all over the place, and it's also very weak as well. Um, I found those in 2016. I just wasn't ready with my own personal life, having just quit drinking, to go into um, eating them at that time and for all this time because it's been so long, and I'm a, you know, a different person, and things have changed that I didn't know if I, if I took them, if I'd be bringing up old demons or something or or if uh, i was just frightened also of getting paralyzed again but of course that didn't happen so the reason the the long break was one i wasn't in the right mental state and two is that well for a long time i didn't have access to any of the, of the mushrooms so th th why this occurred in february is because just a week before i had met up with a mushroom uh, amateur mushroom group uh, a facebook group and we went for a hike and we found them. So there I, I finally had uh, the mushrooms. I knew what they were. I identified them. I had studied them for, for years now. Um, the people I was with had confirmed, yeah, these are the ones, of course. And so then I had them. And so it's like, all right, now's the time. You know, like I have them. It's safe. It's been five years since I quit drinking. It's been 10 years since I ate mushrooms. Uh, and I think my brain, uh, you know, I, my way of thinking might, may have been become stagnant. I'm, I'm open to new possibilities. I want to, I want to see what the mushroom tells me now, now that I'm older, I'm more mature. Uh, I was really intrigued by the prospect of, of new things, exciting things that could happen. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really cool. I think it's also cool that you found that community and amateur mushroom gr group sounds like a really cool group of people that I'd definitely be interested in uh, getting to know. Yeah, they're very, they're very passionate. Great. So um, you mentioned set and setting. I mean, I'm not sure how many times that you've taken mushrooms, you've been alone or with other people, but how does that setting of being around others, being alone, being in nature, being in your house, like how have you found that those different factors have influenced your trips over the years? I prefer being alone during the, these trips because I get sucked into what other people are experiencing because the mushroom elicits empathy and eliminates barriers. So there's no difference between me and the other person and the experience. So the, the two experiences meld into one. So that that's that's why um, I, don't, I don't like getting sucked into other people's trips because then I can't work on on my own experience. Um, everything just blurs together. So that's why I like doing alone. And then for the set. Yeah, that's the mindset going into it. So for, for me, I didn't take mushrooms for a long time because one, I didn't have them. And two is because of, of uh, my mindset. I was too fearful. I was operating from a place of fear based on my previous experiences 
and I just quit drinking. So I, I didn't know how that would, would how that would affect me. Oh, yeah, getting back to um, the, the setting part. So I prefer being out in nature. I've never taken, I've never done what Terrence McKenna always suggests, doing five grams in silent darkness. I've never been able to do that, or I never tried, and I never haven't wanted to yet. Although that's, it's still a, a prospect, a possibility that I'm looking at on the horizon. I like being out in nature just because of, well, the way it makes you feel. So I was looking at this a couple of weeks ago when I got up and started walking around and I was feeling the effects of the psilocybin, you know, just looking at the, um, the succulent plants, which are all, you know, Fibonacci sequenced, golden ratio, fractals, and it just brings a, a, a feeling of peace, of connectedness, of, of oneness with all of nature, and that it makes you feel you're never alone. It just makes you feel like this is at home. And that's another thing too, is that when I when I took these mushrooms for for, for the first time in ten years it felt like slipping into a warm dream or something. It felt like there was something there welcoming me back. It just, it was a very gentle thing. It was a feeling of coming home. And it just makes me think about all these different higher levels of consciousness, of, of different levels of reality, um, and just the invisible landscapes that are out there, that there's more to reality than, than what we see with our everyday perceptions. Yeah, that's... Um... That's amazing. And I definitely know what you mean about enjoying psychedelics in nature. I mean, for the for the handful of psychedelic experiences that I've had with psilocybin and LSD, I've been outside in nature, you know, in kind of varying levels, you know, kind of varying from a, a park in a city in the UK to the Colombian rainforest, um, but still mm. like around trees, around plants, around flowers, around things that you want to marvel at when you're under the influence of a psychedelic like that. And to meet the thought now of taking them and staying enclosed in a room or keeping my eyes closed for the entire experience, I'm not saying that I don't recognize that I'm sure there's there's value in that. And that's definitely, you know, the way that uh, a lot of these clinical trials are being ran. I personally like couldn't imagine what that what that would even be like, um, because looking at, at nature and and getting sucked into it all and having that feeling of connectedness with the earth is such a major part of psychedelics for me. But yeah, I think it would be really interesting to to see what the what the fuss is about with the other side as well. Right, and I think one of my, my the way I resisted it is because, like I said, talking about my first experience, that first experience, you know, this maybe that's something I need to conquer is that when I close my eyes, it freaked me out because I couldn't shut it off, uh, and so that was scarier. That was more frightening than opening my eyes and seeing the whole world around me, you know, that I kind of know through that that psychedelic lens but when closing the eyes it just freaked me out so it, it's more it's it's deeply penetrating into the psyche and it's something i've stayed stayed away from yeah yeah for sure but i guess i mean we're recording this under isolation uh, conditions during coronavirus and i guess there's probably going to be a lot of people that still have that psychedelic itch but not, not the ability to go outside into nature to to trip so you know i've already kind of read a few things online of people people taking psychedelics under under quarantine and while you know it's definitely a way to experience them being at home and perhaps like cozy and comfortable it seems like when that's enforced that's probably not the right setting for most people to go into a psychedelic trip that they actually don't have the option even if they wanted to 
to leave. But yeah, um, what do you think about that? Well, I can actually also speak from a little bit of experience as well of uh, being in cramped spaces on previous experiences. So yeah, there's one time I uh, I had taken LSD and then I had to get on a flight and it was a long flight because five hour, six hour flight. Or no, it was two flights with a layover. So that was even freakier. Yeah. So I had gone somewhere and went to an event and I took LSD after this event and then it was in the nighttime, but I forgot or just didn't think about how this, how acid can take, you know, 12 hours or more of, I mean, the duration of it. So all through the night, of course, I was, I was up tripping and then, then I had to take a flight in the morning and I realized, oh shit, this is still going on. And getting on an airplane, going through airport security was freaky as hell. I had set, set myself off to the side, unloaded my, my bags. And I, I like, I put, took all the stuff out of my, my bags, my carry on before going through security. Cause I didn't know it was metal. And there was a crowd gathered around me. They're all looking at me. Um, <laughs> it was freaky. Um, then when I got onto the plane, the, the seats in front of me, the designs, the patterns in, in, in the fabric and the seats in front of me were, were turning into little Aztec warriors dancing around in circles. And I actually started hiding underneath my tray table and the, and the stewards had to come by and, and, and tell me to get, get out. And then just the flight itself, just not being able to get up, being able to move. Uh, the person next to me, I looked over as a young person and it had um, some acne on his chin and the acne around the chin started to look like volcanoes erupting in a ring of fire. And this went on for hours. And so that, that was just my experience of being in a trapped place. So now getting back to being in isolation, being in quarantine, it depends on the individual. I mean, I bet some people can find a lot of solace and peace and solitude in, in, in an experience while being under quarantine. But, but yeah, but me, me, no. Especially if it's under a forced condition, like you say, like you have to be in there, like there's no escape and you can't go out. Then that kind of puts an extra added layer of pressure, which can affect the mood and affect the outcome of the experience, I think. And I think that's, that's an, a, a reason why that um, on my last mushroom trip, I was at home, but my home is out in the mountains and there's a lot of space. So I didn't have to worry about external things like, where's my keys? Did I drive here? Is someone going to come up here? Um, am I going to run into somebody? Am I going to have to play it cool? So that, that, was, that was very comforting for me. And well, I guess that, that could also be comforting for people at home who are comfortable enough for themselves to take psychedelics in, in a quarantine environment. Yeah, absolutely. And that that trip on the uh, on the airplane sounds extremely intense. I love how graphically you have have these memories of the uh, the erupting acne on the guy's chin. So just kind of lingering on that virus. So perhaps it's obviously not for everyone taking psychedelics under these quarantine conditions. But how do you think psilocybin or psychedelics generally have helped people in dealing with these uncertain times well yeah it's like the old greek aphorism know thyself so when you know yourself then you're more comfortable in any situation so people who do take psychedelics not just like as in going to a concert or or a rage or a party or something but those who kind of do work with it um, for personal development just like going back to my first trip, you know, like everything outside isn't going to bring me happiness. It's all from within. And so I think that if people who have taken psychedelics, I think, and actually use them for for personal work, um, they can be more prepared for this type of thing. They can be more at peace with themselves and not get anxious, not desire outside things. They, they can just be happy with themselves because because they know themselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point, how psychedelics do really help you familiarize yourself with your own mind in a, a way that not many things do. I would kind of put psychedelics and, and meditation into similar brackets for one, but I can see how the lessons that that people have learned from psychedelics can can be applied in really important ways under the these these uh, circumstances that that we're in right now. Zoom out a little bit. I want to ask you about your general kind of view of the the changing tide towards psilocybin in recent years. How have you seen people's attitudes change, especially as psychedelics are becoming a little bit more mainstream? I think with there being you know more funding for research and clinical trials for for medical and therapeutic use of, of substances like psilocybin and and MDMA. How are you, how are you looking at the whole picture right now? Yeah, it's it's great. So I read the Spirit Molecule by Dr. Rick Strassman a couple years ago. That Dr. Strassman, he's uh, I think the University of New Mexico, and he's the one who broke through the legal barriers in, in the 1990s with his clinical studies of I don't know if it's clinical, but it's studies of DMT, dimethyltryptamine, and so that just opened up opened up the door for for many more researchers because it had been banned since the the 1970s i believe and there was amazing progress that was done before then so nowadays you know fast forward 10 years after strassman uh, dr roland griffiths of johns hopkins university came out with a study on um, how psilocybin elicits can occasion mystical experiences this is great for getting mainstream thinking towards this so a lot of what the promise and the studies are showing is all about kind of how it can how it really reduces anxiety like psilocybin can reduce anxiety and the fear of death in terminal cancer patients another one was oh yeah breaking addictions like for alcoholism or smoking and things of that nature kind of therapeutic things uh, but but I'm I'm really interested right now is in this stuff that this research that's coming out on the uh, analogs of psilocybin so you can tell that I've talked more about psilocybin because that's my that's what I I, I prefer over and over the other psychedelics. So yeah, I'm, I'm coming from a psilocybin mushroomed point of view because the analogs of psilocybin. So mushrooms have psilocybin and you know some uh, psilocin. These are active psychoactive ingredients, but there's other ingredients that are, are part of that as well. They're they're called um, the uh, derivatives of psilocybin, and these are things like uh, compounds like baocystin norbeocystin and norcilicin and they're just coming i think it was only in the past year that they've been able to identify these and isolate them and they have no idea what they do and so i'm really interested in what are the kind of properties of these and i got the inspiration actually from watching um, the mycologist paul stamets on on the joe rogan experience and he and, and stamets talked about baocystin on its own as something that could be researched and while I don't think that really much is known about these these compounds, like what their effects are, I'm interested in in knowing if like there's somehow there's a way to isolate some of those sixth senses that you can get from psilocybin. So one of them, just a feeling, you know, of something watching you or something like that. The, uh, one of the the properties of, of psilocybin, and maybe possibly it's due to one of the derivatives, is visual acuity. So especially, you know, in low doses, if you, you, you take the mushroom, colors are enhanced and your peripheral vision is greatly enhanced. It also at, at higher doses too, and especially on the come down. So my last trip 
this was at nighttime now. So I started just before night and it became nighttime and I had a bonfire or a campfire blazing. And so I, I was sitting down, staring directly into the campfire. Um, so I'm looking into flames in, 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 when it's nighttime. And I, I just shouted when I looked at the flames, I shouted, Sariwaya, which is the Spanish word for opossum. And sure enough, I looked up from the fire, turned my head a full 90, 90 degrees to the right, and I saw from 30 feet off a possum running across a branch of a tree onto the roof of, no, not onto the roof, but it was running across the branch of a tree. And I was, I was blown away. I was like, how did I see that? I, I, that's, you know, the, these, these chemicals, these compounds, they, they, they hack the brain. It's like, it's like some type of, um, it's like a technology, you know? And that, that's why I, I wrote an article on that recently about um, the, the mushroom experience and acting like a technology because it, it, it works on the hardware, it works on your, the body software, and it just, it just does so many different things. Um, and it's, it's like plugging into, uh, yeah, some sort of technological process. That's so interesting that you say that about about heightened senses because that's definitely something that I remember very clearly from my first psilocybin trip is feeling like my eyesight had actually gotten better and I don't have any problems with my eyesight anyway but I literally felt like I was looking at things in HD like obviously the colors were enhanced but I felt like I could see a lot more detail than I usually could and it blew my mind. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm, well, well, DARPA, you know, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, they're looking to well, schedule one drug in the U.S. to help soldiers with PTSD and other ailments. But one of the things they said is that many drugs produce side effects called hallucinations. And so <laughs> they, they, they might not be looking at that psilocybin then, or they might be looking at the, at the derivatives, who knows? But I mean, this could also, they could be looking at MDMA or, or ketamine or something as well. But I thought that was really interesting that they, they call um, hallucinations side effects, you know, and I see those as uh, hallucinations as visions and something kind of essential to the trip. It's like, I, I also saw a report just the other day of companies that are looking to eliminate any bad trips from happening. Like, I don't know how they're going about that. To me, it's like, all right, so if you, if you take the psychedelic uh, for analogy, um, I'm, I'm guessing it's kind of like white water rafting or something like that. So if you take the, the the pure form, the full thing, the full blown hallucinations, the visions, and everything, um, there's you know it's like an element of danger to it, an element of excitement, an element of that's where you learn is when you're putting into these situations where, where you, you're you're forced to uh, well either surrender you know or or go along for the ride you know um, so like if you go whitewater rafting there's that element of danger and if you if you take that experience out I I think of that as like going into the theater and watching white water rafting on a screen you're in sitting there in the comfort nothing's going to happen to you you know it and that's it but being thrown into the middle of it into that danger into the unknown that's where the that's where you test yourself that's where the learning occurs that's where the metaphors come from i remember not even a psychedelic experience you know but just things in general that you get from 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 being in nature and doing experience in living life is uh, I went to a, a place, uh, a, a town not too far from, well, four hours from where I live, and I went into the river, kind of jungle-ish, jungly, and there was a point where I had to climb up on the rocks uh, because I couldn't go through the river anymore, and then I found a place where it's like, oh, I'm up at this high area on the rock, and in order to get to the other side, because um, I can't go any further on this side, I, you know, you've got to cross, and I, but I'm already high up on the rock, so what do I do? And I looked down, I'm like, well, I don't know how deep it is but it was just like well sometimes in life you got to jump and so I jumped and so that's kind of like the psychedelic experience too it's like in, in, the, in the, that rush of jumping 
and the the learning that you get from it just you can apply later in life it's it's like the same thing with the psychedelic experience so um i think that the full experience is necessary yeah absolutely i completely agree and i think trying to see psychedelics through that lens of pure recreation that you know trying to engineer them so that they can get rid of the possibility of a bad trip is you're not going to have the most valuable experiences that way you know like you said doing something that scares you that makes you nervous or anxious often provides the biggest result in the end of it um and i think that really applies to psychedelic experiences often the toughest ones are the ones that you learn the most from exactly but again who knows what what the properties are of these things and and what the experiences are going to would be like without that trip i mean it wouldn't be you know what we were just describing it'd be something else but that you know and in some way it could be beneficial as well in in certain areas especially you know in therapeutic areas and i i just don't see it right now yeah it's it's too early to tell what what the mm -hmm. what the actual results and outcomes of those will be yeah and i think that that type of research and those type of companies in tech startup communities getting interested in in psychedelic plant medicines like psilocybin is definitely a symptom of a, a wider changing tide in attitudes towards these towards these substances do you think that there's any sort of danger of i don't want to say these things like getting into the wrong hands but people trying to do the wrong things with them or or pitching them in the wrong way i guess i mean you can talk about like commercialization which you know if people are in it like i see i've seen comparisons about you know the the cannabis industry how that booms and then you know they're trying to talking about replicating that with mushrooms or psychedelics but i don't think that'll ever happen because i mean it's it's not an addicting thing and after you you take if you have a psychedelic experience it's not like you want to go and have it again the next day it took me 10 years between between trips so i mean the, the so that's like supply and demand and the frequency of use is, is completely different you know i'm the editor of the sociable here so i write about i've been writing about technology for years and the thing about technology is that it's neither good nor bad it's just a tool it's it's how you use it it's who uses it and for what purposes so that i'd take that same thinking to the psychedelic arena but that being said i think to go a little deeper like if these substances become widely available and widespread and there's no system in place that kind of integrates them then there can be a lot of problems and then i think you go back to the 1960s and the the, the whole scare back then of, of people going crazy or jumping out windows or whatever because what happens i think in our culture at least in, in western culture is that we don't have the initiations we don't have the rituals we don't have shamans anymore and i, I remember my, one of my great uh, my favorite uh, researchers graham hancock um he's, he's spoken with the shamans and he said that uh, western civilization has severed its connection with spirit and so if we don't have the mechanisms in place to integrate all the experience then we can see I can see problems occurring because we need those those people with the knowledge and the wisdom and the compassion and the empathy in order to integrate everything that's happening. So I, uh, what I had mentioned is, is that, you know, it's like a, a kid, if it becomes wide, widely available, the, the psychedelic uh, substances, you know, if some a teenager or something gets a hold of it and they go to school, you know, thinking it was weed and then and all of a sudden they're in a full-blown experience, you know, people can panic and people panic. Um, in any situation, they can they do irrational things. So what what's needed is 
a mechanism of integration like that of other cultures that, that have done this for, for thousands of years, that the shamans, the people um, who, who know how to work this terror, this invisible landscape, the ones that can integrate and guide you through these things because without that type of knowledge, then things can go wrong. So like, like I said, like my first experience, it, I, I was freaked out, but you know, I handled it and, and you know, I came out stronger for other people that, that might not be the case. Yeah, yeah. I think I think while you can obviously have really transformative psilocybin experiences without a guide or without a shaman present, and I certainly haven't had any experiences with a shaman, psilocybin experiences with a shaman present. I can imagine that in the same way that the presence of, of a shaman or a guide that has come from a community that has been using these medicines for, you know, hundreds or thousands of years can make a real difference in the same way that it does with other plant medicines so yeah so what, what i'm saying yeah i've never been with a shaman either i never had a guided experience psychedelic experience either and i'm an advocate i'm thinking about legal full legalization you know widespread availability and so that means like anybody i mean I'd, of course there'd be age restrictions and, and, and things like that but I, I still think that on a wide scale certain people wouldn't react right and they they could definitely benefit from um, these types of initi initiations, these types of um, wisdom from shamans, and maybe even education at an early age, like maybe they can teach in they could teach in school one day, you know, like yeah, this stuff is is legal, it's out there, but here's all here's what you need to know, just basic education, basically. Yeah, exactly. I think legalization doesn't have to mean that this is saying to the public that this is something that's safe for everyone to use, you know, without really. Um, thinking about it, I think it's definitely important, like you said, to make sure that people are educated on on the kinds of effects that that it can have. But yeah, with legalization, I think I mean, I think we're very far away from it getting to that point if it ever does. But I think there are positive movements being made in selected states like uh, Oregon, California, and Colorado. I, I read of kind of starting to make some efforts towards realizing psilocybin for, for medicinal use, which is um, which is really exciting. I think that's probably going to be the biggest, like the biggest breakthrough with psilocybin is going to be the, the ways in which it yes. helps people that need its therapeutic and its transformative benefit rather than the people that want to, you know, take it and go and giggle in a field for six hours. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's a good first step, though. Yeah. Therapeutic and uh, clinical and medical. So, yeah. If, if you can show can help people, that'll open the door to many possibilities. And who knows, you know, when once a few states approve it, then it, there could be a snowball effect the rest of the country, the, over to the UK, uh, and anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. I think it's really positive. And I think the point that you made before about its lack of commercial potential in the same way that cannabis has is actually a really good thing. I, th I think we have a lot to be optimistic about with um, with psilocybin, both in terms of you know changing attitudes and also uh, the legality and, and the trials that are happening right now. Yeah, indeed. Okay, perfect. Well, Tim, I think that's a great place to end the, the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, and thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I can't. Uh, my parents will probably be listening to this, so I hope I haven't freaked them out too much. <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, take care. Thanks. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Publicize. Visit their website if you want to find out more about their PR for growth packages, their free resources, or even schedule a call. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion.
To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this final installment of the mini-series. Feel free to tweet us with any thoughts on the show at, at The Sociable, and you can subscribe to the Brains Bite Back podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.